Hello, everyone, and welcome to August. The following people have pledged their support on Patreon to support the podcast. And because of these kind people, I am able to put the podcast out on a consistent basis. So I want to thank David and Jennifer Von Ebers, Jeff Ulmer, Sylvan Groth, Liz Brunson, Yetta, Steve Van Sack, Rob Barnett, Randy Brown, Bella Pori, John Munson, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Steve Rogers, Dale Hosek, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thanks, everyone, for the support. If you want to be part of the Patreon family and get unique, unedited episodes in video, please go to patreon.com, search for Set Lusting Bruce, and you can support for as little as $5 a month. Thank you, everyone. Now on to the show. There's one thing that you can hear in a song that can just touch your heartstrings, and there's certain things that just I'll get sad or cry whenever I hear that song. Or, or other times you just get, yeah, or there's the angry songs. People would always come to my house and they knew if I was playing Darkness to get out of my way because I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me is my new friend in Canada, but via Ohio. Andrea made sure to tell me she may live in Canada, but she is a Midwest girl. So, that is correct, friend. Yes. <laughs> Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Hank. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell my audience a little about yourself. I grew up in a, a little town called North Ridgeville, Ohio, which is a, a, a wee bit west of Cleveland. So I've been like entrenched in music my entire life because as a child, when I was driving, well, we took the bus to school and on the school routes, we had CKLW playing on the school bus all the time. So I grew up with Motown. And he like, was just a major influence on my life as a child, just growing up with all of that fantastic music. And then, of course, you had all the Detroit sounds. So, of course, as a teenager, it was Springsteen. Well, as far as Springsteen's not from Detroit, but like Seeger and everybody like that. And, of course, as everyone knows, Cleveland was one of the first places to really embrace Bruce outside of Jersey. So listening to WMMS as when I was in my formative years in high school and the like, he was a major influence in my life that way. And my family, though, we were always big music lovers and always had albums around. My parents, my family heritage is Polish, so we listened to a lot of polkas. <laughs> Have you heard of Brave Combo? No. There's your homework assignment. Brave Combo is from Denton, Texas, just north of Dallas, and they mm -hmm. do rock and roll polka. Oh, my God. I have yes. to check that. Yes, they have actually been nominated and won Grammys. They can do traditional polka as well. But they they were known they did rock and roll polka, did a really a lot of fun things. And 
when my son's now 34, but when he was little, we would go see Brave Combo a lot because they would play like in beer tents and stuff that you could bring families. And, and my son would go, Dad, it's always a good time to poker. <laughs> <laughs> There's never a bad time, really. <laughs> it's never a bad time. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you jumped ahead and I love it. So it sounds like your family loved all kinds of music when you were a kid. It was just yeah. everywhere. Yeah, we always had music playing. And like, like my parents, I always remember my parents going to concerts. Like they they went to see Tom Jones and Engelbert Humperdinck with my aunts. And I made fun of them as I, when I was younger. But now I embraced the Tom Jones wholeheartedly. <laughs> but we always had music playing. And I was like growing up as a child was a Beatles fan. And I remember my parents took us to the drive-in to see help. And we were all excited, my friend, my girlfriends and I, because we got, we got the signed photographs of the Beatles, which we knew at that point you thought they really signed them, but they probably didn't. <laughs> Pendulette tells the story that supposedly the Beatles would take turns signing the photographs. So John would sign John, Paul, George, and Ringo. He would sign all four signatures, each making them look differently. And then the next night, George would sign all four. And so Paul and Ringo. And he says, so true collectors have to get four, right, collections of that so that each would have – like they would have the Ringo signed, not only Ringo, but the other three, and then George. I don't know if that is a true statement, but I want it to be because I think yeah. that would be so cool, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be totally cool. Yeah, yeah. I had known about that story earlier because when I was living in the UK and I was on the radio there, I had a chance to interview George Martin. Mm -hmm. And so a cool thing to ask him about. But yeah, so. Talk about, you mentioned hearing Bruce a little bit on the radio, but can you remember when you first really got Bruce and can you articulate why his music spoke to you? Yes, I remember I was in high school. I was probably about 15 and uh, hearing, hearing, some of the music from the Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle on WMMS. But I remember it being just, yeah, okay, that's cool. But then hearing when Born to Run came out and they play and Kid Leo played it constantly. And then when Cleveland, every Friday at six o'clock, they would do this. This was there was this guy Murray, the Murray, I forget what his name was, Murray Saul, maybe it was on WMMS. And he would do this whole thing where he'd, he'd the spiel about got to get down for the weekend and then they would play friday on they play thunder they would play born to run and that was how you knew your friday started then they would play earthquake friday on my mind and they would of course play cleveland rocks and when you heard all those three songs you knew it was friday night and it was time to party <laughs> so that was i think that was what made the most impact on me and got me into Bruce at that point and just going, yeah, this guy's pretty cool and this music is really good. But then my friend, my best friend, Kathy, growing up, we were both Bruce fans together and we would just listen to his lyrics. And there was always one line in every song that we would sit there and scream at the top of our lungs. And I think for me, too, is like I grew up Catholic and had a Catholic education and I could relate to a lot of the things that he was talking about. 
because there was a lot of a lot of references, particularly in on the Darkness album, to the to Catholicism. And I remember seeing him live when he talked about not have, about blind faith was was not necessarily a good thing. And and that always made me think a lot because I was constantly in trouble in high school for questioning anything that they told you in religion class. So I related to him on those levels as well on that as well as as a younger person growing up and then spending more and more time with him. And as we've all aged with him, I think seeing him when he was on Broadway was like a real pivotal time for me to see him because this, the show that I saw, he spoke a lot about his mother having Alzheimer's and my mother just died of Alzheimer's. Mm. And so it was something I found really relatable where he could talk, he was talking about just how much she loved dancing and how she'd forgotten about dancing and how heartbreaking that was. And it was like, yeah, I cried. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I I saw, obviously, that first round, The Wish was on a list of the one of the songs I was really looking forward to hearing live. And he didn't talk about his mother having Alzheimer at the time when I saw it. Later, mm-hmm. he did. And I love the Netflix special where he's you'll know me in a glance and he says you'll know me and you bet she doesn't know him anymore is such a a powerful moment and I can only imagine my mom had a stroke last July it's coming up on a year and she's now she's in a nursing home she can't move she can't stand she can't move her left arm and her left leg and she has good days and bad days some days she's really as my son reminds he said hey uh mimi was not the most reliable narrator before she had a stroke but there is that that feeling and i condolences on your loss and and i do i can imagine that that feels pretty special that i'm sure the wish brings you happy tears when you hear it yeah, it is just like it it's you just think about those things and like he always talks about it what the a tumultuous relationship he had with his father, but mine was with my mother. So okay. it was like relating to a lot of things he was saying on different levels and and yeah, it was really it was very powerful performance. And- my, my son and my lovely bride I have to make sure they're not listening because she gets angry when I bring this up, is that Independence Day was them. Independence Day of just two people loving each other and just not knowing how to say it. When he was a teenager, now then there's, it's all good because you're as adults, but yeah, it has that. It is one of those things. I just was talking to someone, actually Sylvan, I do another podcast, which is, a John Hyatt A to Z podcast. Um, Oh, fantastic. And so we're covering every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. And Sylvan says, it doesn't matter in modern era, John, you, when he puts out a new album, you go, Oh, he wrote that song for me. Yeah. And, And I think Bruce, a lot of that, we go, Oh yeah, that was for me. And and, and I think that's the universe, that's the universal language of songs that you can hear a song and you take it for your own personal feeling, whether that is what the songwriter meant or not. Yeah. But that's the beauty of music. 
It really it's, isn't it. There's there's one thing that you can hear in a song that can just touch your heartstrings, and there's certain things that just I'll get sad or cry whenever I hear that song. Or, or other times you just get yeah. Or there's the angry songs. I would people would always come to my house and they knew if I was playing darkness to get out of my way because I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's my angry yeah. album. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You mentioned that... In a lot of ways, he influenced you to get into the music business. Tell me a little bit about that, Andrea. He's, I've always been a fan of music. I, like I said, since I was a child, I have no musical talent whatsoever. But I just loved music so much, and I loved his music in particular. I just wanted to do something where I was actually working in music. And so... It was a half a, a weird way that it all happened in that I was like I when I graduated from high school, I went to college for a year. I had to pay my own way because the wet Catholic school, the, the Catholic the Catholic high school I went to, they actually didn't really care about helping out the poor kids. They only wanted to help the rich kids being like top of my class, but having a poor family, the guidance counselor didn't really care. So I put myself through my first year of college and then I dropped out because I thought, I'm not really learning anything. I'm being, it's the same repeat of high school where I'm not being challenged. I'm not thinking. And so then I 
one day I was listening to the radio and I heard this commercial for the Ohio School of Broadcast Technique. And so I went and called them and had an interview with them. And the next thing you know, I'm in a class for broadcasting. And then the next thing you know, I got a job on the radio. <laughs> and it was uh, it was crazy because everybody in my class just wanted to be on the air in Cleveland. But my whole thing was I don't want that because I want it to go somewhere where I could learn everything about the business. And I knew that would be a small station where you had to do everything. So my first the job I got was in Jacksonville, North Carolina, at a station called WXQR, the Rock and Roll Animal. And, and I started doing Midnight to Six. And I remember moving down there, and it was such a culture shock for me as a as someone who'd grown up in the North to drive down into the South and see signs for the KKK and just be like, oh, my God. And I don't know how much you know about Jacksonville, but it's a Marine Corps town. Okay. It's the it's the home of Camp Lejeune, the world's largest amphibious Marine Corps base. So as you're driving into town, you're seeing these churches, but then there's X-rated drive-in movie theaters, and then there's a church, and then there's a strip club, and then there's an X-rated drive-in movie theater, and then there's some more churches. So it was really interesting being a northerner moving down there. And I'll be honest with you, I hated it. I really hated the girl I was sharing a house with. I hated everything about it. And I wanted to go home. And I was like, but in context, I will say this. My mother didn't want me to leave. It was the classic Independence Day story, right? And the night before I left, she stood in my doorway and said, you'll never make it on your own. You'll come crawling back. Mm. And I was like, no, I will not. And so I'm sitting there in this apartment in Jacksonville, North Carolina, hating it so much. And then I was listening to Thunder Road. And the end of the song, when he sings, it's a town full of losers, I'm pulling out of here to win. I went, you're absolutely right. I am not going back. I am going to win. And that kept me going. And I, I ended up like getting promoted, going working in the midday shift and becoming the music director and had a career in radio for a while. <laughs> But I will never forget that line because it just gave so much power to my life to just hear that. That's awesome. I always like to preface this with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that were born, speaking of the South, and grew up that didn't have a chance to see Bruce. And there are people that if you were born in the right age in the Northeast, you had chances to see him hundreds of times. So for the record, I know the answer to this. Have you seen <laughs> him perform live? Yes, 50 times. Okay. But despite 50 times, there's one you're missing, isn't there? There's always one you wish you were at. No, I was talking about your brother. Oh, yes. Yes, my brother. My brother Mark is like one of my is my best friend and I turned him on to Bruce when we were kids and I've always wanted to see Bruce with my brother and we that's been and I still haven't done it. And there was a show he was supposed to be at in Toronto and he couldn't make it cuz his car was broke and nobody in the family would loan him the money for a rental car and I didn't have the money to loan him at the time and so I went to the, the show and it was at the Sky Dome or the Rogers Center, as it's called now. And he opens the he comes out, opens the show because that's where the, the Jays play. 
with the with an accordion playing take me out to the ball game and then the first song he plays is working on the highway and that's my brother's song because my brother at that point was working for odot and he was working on the highway and i burst into tears i'm just like my brother should be here he should have fly why what else first play incident on 57th street which is my brother's favorite song and he plays Thundercrack, which is the song that my brother and I always sing together when we're like, and it's that whole show was meant for my brother to be there. And he wasn't. And to this day, we still, I still want to see him with my brother. And I tried to get tickets for his shows here in Toronto in November. But if you're not in the queue, if you don't get it, you, by the time I got to the point where I could actually even get tickets, the only ones they had left were in the 300 level. I like the very top of the stadium and I wasn't going to pay like $400 each for tickets after I'd just, I'd paid less than that to see him on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like, damn it, Bruce, if you're listening, I'd really like to see you with my brother. <laughs> I was going to ask, have you seen any shows on this tour? No. Okay. No, because I'm like, I'm self-employed. I work in the music industry and I've been like super busy and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And it just like worked triumph trumped bruce at this point which is mm-hmm. sad because i really do want to see him on this tour but you never know something could happen as you get closer to toronto there may be tickets available they may drop some of their tickets so yeah absolutely have you followed the tour at all have you seen the static set list controversy no i have not well, good um, for you i, I don't know why because i just didn't want to torment myself because I have done that on past tours where I would follow every set list and then I'd be like, oh, God, I should have been at that. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to follow it on this tour. Like, I don't. I just don't. What you just described is how I named this podcast. Really? That is how the name came, Set Lusting Bruce. Yeah. It's exactly <laughs> what you just described. It's It has been funny in the past people like, in fact, my brother, who just recently passed in February, but would say, what, set-lusting Bruce? Is it a sexual thing? And I, I would explain <laughs> to him, I still understand that when Bruce performs normally, and he isn't this tour, but he changes the setup a, a list a lot, and people post it on social media. And if you're following on social media, you go, damn, I can't believe he's doing that song. And instead of set-listing, you become set-lusting. And right. oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. So you this are... tour, not he's not mixing it up as much. Is that what you're saying? Yes, he is. A, it is almost. It is practically the same set list every night. Oh, he has man. two or three spots where he does a wild card, but overall, it is the same two hours and forty five minutes most nights it's and and it's a damn good set list it is a really good set list i it, i'd recommend getting a nugs version and the issue that little steven says is we're telling a story that in this tour we have a specific theme that we're driving and that's why we're doing this and <laughs> most people are okay with it but there are a small fraction of people that have said Bruce is selling out now and he's he's lost all the magic and he's just an oldies act. And why 
you've cheated me, Bruce. I bought six tickets to shows, and now then they're all for the same set list that I wouldn't have done that if I'd known. He's then sell your tickets and give them to someone that wants to see them. <laughs> Easy solution, Andrea. Yeah. Just yeah, I hate to be unkind, but complaining that you're you have too many tickets to Bruce and you don't want to hear the same show is if there's not a first world problem I mean, no. that is exactly right yeah exactly it's, hey hi anybody that's going to complain about that i'll take two thanks yeah <laughs> now i do think i will give grace to before the tour started and before we knew the set list was pretty the same they nugs offered you could pre-buy like all 28 shows down oh really Yes. Yeah, so you pre-purchased the U.S. set or the Europe set. And I said, those people, I think, have a – I would go to Nugs and go, hey, wait a minute. When I bought this, I did not know I was buying 28 versions of the same set list. I want my money back. Yeah. But all those, some, those of us who have seen him multiple times – you treasured those things. When I used to live in LA and I saw him seven nights and seven nights he played and I went to every single yeah. show and every single one of them was completely different. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, I get that. Now I went to three, I, I went on February 10th on February 14th and February 16th. So I went to Dallas, Houston and Austin and they were basically the same set list. I was lucky mm -hmm. Both Houston and Austin, he did If I Was the Priest, which he uh -huh. has not done too much. But it didn't bother me that it was basically the same set list because I've seen Casablanca hundreds of times. And every time I watch Casablanca, I love it. Yeah. I've listened to I've listened to Born to Run, the album, hundreds of times. And I don't go, wow, I wish this would be different this time. So I, I'm able to understand what it is. So it's a little bit of... There, there's been a little bit of controversy among fandom. People want to bitch about everything. But honestly, like you, I've seen him play for three hours and some people were yelling that it was too long. Then leave. Just no matter what you do, there's going to be someone that complains about it. Yeah. I think Bruce, Bruce should yeah, be bothered. Yeah, I, I think that's great. You've already talked about Darkness as your anger album. <laughs> Are there other albums that mean a lot to you that uh, have special meaning? Yeah, I think the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle was always like a special place in my heart because there is this guy when I was in high school that I had a massive crush on and that was his favorite album. And every time I, I'd go over to his house and we'd play volleyball and stuff and hang out. And he actually taught me how to drink scotch while we were listening to that album. And so like that one has a special place in my heart too. And then I think Tunnel of Love, the album that's on, that's like that that album just that's about heartbreak and I was going through a divorce at the same time and so I could really that I could relate to that a lot but honestly like there's something in every one of his albums that really read that always touches me and there's I, I go back and forth on which ones are my favorite at any given time Thunder Road not Thunder Road Born to Rome is definitely a pivotal album and and I still go back to that one quite a bit it's just there's always something do what is your thoughts on Letter to You? 
I think that's a great song and I like that album. You know what? I It took me a while to like it as much as I, but I'm, I'm in a different place in my life too. It's like when I was younger, I'd get, I'd go out to the store the minute an album became available and memorize it and read the liner notes and play it 5,000 times until I knew all the words and I could sing along and it's times have changed. Now I run my own company. I don't have that kind of time. And so listening to Letter to You was like, yeah, it was like, to me, it was like, like nostalgic. And, and it's, you have to appreciate an artist growing. He's not the same person he was when I first started listening to him. And I'm not the same person either. So I think it's a natural career path. And I think it's a really good record. Yeah, I think said. So what is the day gig, Andrea? Oh, I, I do radio tracking. I get people's music played on the radio. So in Canada, they call it a radio tracker. In the States, it's a like a a promotion person or a plugger. But I started my own company in 2004 because I got tired of working for labels and I got tired of just the way they were treating artists. And so I thought I'd start my own company and I work exclusively with independent artists because I really want to build careers and and make sure that young talent gets heard. That's what I do. I Some days I drink more than others because I get frustrated with radio people, but... <laughs> And I just put on darkness and I scream and I'm fine. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. You've already told one story about the concert that your brother should have been there. Do you have other uh, stories from shows that you want to share? Oh, man. The, I, I, the, the pivotal one, I think one of my one of my most favorite ones was I was lucky enough to see him New Year's Eve 1978 going into 79, which is a show he mentions in his book. That was in Cleveland. That was crazy. That was in, actually in Richmond at the Richfield Coliseum. And going to get tickets for that, that was obviously before the internet and all that. So we waited. We went in the middle of winter. I think it was like, no, it was like, I think tickets went on sale like end of October, early November, and it had been snowing. We camped out and waited in line at the Richfield Coliseum, freezing on most of the night. And everybody that was in line was like really cool. But that was like that was in 1978. So it was like there weren't like all the like the stringent rules that they have now. So we were all like all communing and having this great time. And then as it got closer to the time that the doors were going to open, more and more people showed up and there was no police presence and no security guards or anything. So people just started crowding to the press to the front. And it became pretty horrifying because at one point my um, feet weren't touching the ground. And I was just, I couldn't feel my, I couldn't move my arms, but somehow there was a guy behind me that was putting his hands between my legs and it was just disgusting. And there was nothing I could do about it because I couldn't move my arms. And you're just like flow going with the flow of the crowds. And when the doors open, it was just like, I could, I couldn't even run because I was just like being, I was in this mob thing. Finally got my feet on the ground and hit the the floor and got 26th row on the floor for, for that show. But I should have had better seats because we'd been there all <laughs> but that was an amazing concert and and I like I just had the, it was like this amazing experience because when he we had aisle seats and when he did spirits in the night he were, like walked right by us and it was like you just get those shivers because you're like oh my god this is my idol and he's like that close to me and oh my god it was so cool and then I remember at the, that show someone threw a firecracker on stage um towards the end of the show and it hit Bruce by the eye. And little Steven was like, I was like, we need to get this guy, beat him up. And and Bruce was like, no, hey, if you didn't like the show, just come up here. I'll give you your money back and just leave. And then yeah. he just and he just kept playing. And it was just 
an amazing way to start off the year of 1979. <laughs> that is awesome. You mentioned your note. You've actually met him a couple of times. You got some stories? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the first time I met him, my best friend, Kathy, who I grew up listening to Bruce with, like we'd sit in the car and scream lyrics to each other. She'd come out to L.A. to visit me. And it was her last date. And we saw him at the forum and he was so great. And we were just like, that was the first time we saw him together. It was a freaking amazing show. And so that was her last day. And she was going to be flying out like the next morning or late that night. I can't remember which one it was. And we were walking around on Melrose Avenue. And we were in this little store that's probably not there anymore called Flip of Hollywood. It was like a resale store. Mm -hmm. And I'm shopping for stuff and we're at the counter and getting ready to pay. And then I, I look at the, and I go, Kathy. Bruce just walked in and she's, oh my God, Andrea. And she like grabs my arm because she always called me Andrea. She always, she grabs my arm and, and she grabbed it so hard that I had a black and blue mark. <laughs> and we're just standing there watching him walk around the store. And we're both like going, we're breathing the same air he's breathing. We're breathing. It was so stupid, but we were just like, we were in our 20s and we were just like, oh my God, this is the guy that we've idolized our entire lives. And we're in the same room with him. It's, oh my God. And so... I walked out, of the, but he walked out the store and I was like, Kathy, I just can't let this happen. So I walked down the, the street on Melrose and I got like really close behind him and I just went really quietly like, Bruce? And he turned around and he goes, yeah. And I screamed like the village idiot. Oh my God, I can't believe it's you. I have met many famous people in my life from this point, from that point onwards. And I've never acted like that, but I was genuinely like, oh my God. This is my idol. And I met him and he just had this look on his face. And then I stopped. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I go, I've just always wanted to meet you to tell me to tell you how much your music has meant to me. And you pulled me through some really dark places in my life. And I just wanted to say thank you. And then his face changed completely. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, no, this isn't just a freak. This is. Yeah. OK. And then he just completely changed and stopped. And we just started talking. And then I told him how Kathy had come out. To see the show we grew up together and never seen him together and then kathy runs out of the store and she's screaming bruce and i introduce him to her and then we just had this really nice conversation where we talked to him about how much he meant to us and and he asked us if we enjoyed the show and if there was anything we wanted different and if we if it was everything we wanted it to be and we we're just like yes of course and then we didn't ask him for an autograph we didn't take a picture we didn't do anything other than just tell him what he meant to us. And he gave us a hug and a kiss on the cheek when he left. And we just stood there literally just standing on the sidewalk, just with our mouths gaping. Oh, my God, we met Bruce. <laughs> and everybody was like, oh, my God, you didn't get an autograph. You didn't. I'm like, I've never been an autograph person. So that's and just I don't know. It just was I guess the memory of it is, is enough for me. I just didn't need any physical proof to anybody that I met him. I always, that's been a, a, like something that's always stayed with me. And that's just that joy of meeting him. It was like, yeah, it was great. That was the first time. <laughs> yeah, obviously it, you would love a photo, but there is something about just the memory yeah. that you had. And I've got that. And that's forever. And it, I, I get that. I was lucky enough. He was in Austin doing his book tour and I got a ticket so that I was able to get an autographed copy of the autobiography and 
Yeah. So I stood in line forever, talked to some great people, promoted the podcast, and had my seven seconds with him. And they and they take your phone and they take a couple of photos. And so I've got that. But it, it I think it's really cool that you've just got that memory because that memory, you don't need to have it in a camera. You don't need to have a scrap of paper, him signing it. You just know you were able to tell him what his music meant to you. And he was able to hear it. And, to, and I feel like appreciate, right? Thank you for telling me that. Yeah, you know what's funny is I met him on that book tour as well. Okay. And in Toronto, and and you had the five seconds to get your photo with him and just say hi. And everybody's like all gushing about, oh my God, you meant so much to me. And so I already had done that. So I'm standing next to him and I just go, hey, I'm seeing a friend of yours this weekend. And he just stops and he looks at me and he goes, really, who? And I said, oh, Lynn Goldsmith. And he's, what? Where? What? And I so I explained to him that she was doing a photography show at this gallery just that was literally just around the corner from the bookstore and they're shushing me off the stage and he's i'm having a conversation (laughs) oh that is awesome so we were actually engaged in a conversation which i was like being someone that's been an interviewer and all that stuff all my life i was like i'm not gonna go and fawn over him because i've already done that i just want to be real with him and so he was really engaged and he was asking like about the show where the gallery was and i was like do you want me to say hi for you he goes yeah would you I was like, yeah, of course. And so he gave me, like, he hugged me when I first got on stage and he hugged me again. And it was, I think I had more time with him than most people just because I engaged him. Sure. Yeah, I I was asked, are you going to tell him you do a podcast? And I just said, it felt weird to tell him that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked, I basically, my version of how much his music has meant to me, I wrote my own version and practiced it. And then I don't know if he... I don't know if he heard it, but I've said multiple times I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it. Yeah. But that's cool that you were able to have that connection and bring up Lynn and have him go, oh, wow, that's cool. That's great. That's a great story. Yeah. And then ironically, like when I went to see Lynn's show and I met her and I said, hey, I told Bruce, I saw Bruce and I told him that I I was seeing you. She's, oh, well, what did he say? What did he say? And then when then she and I had this really great connection because we were just talking and then she started telling me stories about how when what it was like when she knew him. And we had this really great connection. And it was just like it was really cool that just having the common sense or not the common sense, I think just maybe thinking I think I was watching people meet him over and over again. And I thought he doesn't need to hear another story about how much he means to him. Maybe he just wants to be normal and go, Hey, I'm seeing your friend. I'm, yeah. I'm hanging out with somebody that, you know, and that was like, it really piqued his interest and it was cool. Yeah. In my fantasy, if I ever get him as a guest on this podcast, I always thought that I would talk about his musical fandom the bands he grew up listening to and what were his and what was his moment when he went, holy shit, I can't believe I'm meeting X. And I I think that if I ever get lucky enough to talk to him, that's what I would talk about and not to talk about necessarily the music or everything, but just him as a music fan, the way I talk to most people when they're on the podcast is they're sharing their fandom. Yeah, exactly. That would be a cool thing to talk to him about too. 
Yeah, so let's throw it out. But from knowing, just from being a big fan and knowing how much as much you know about him, who would you think that he would say was like his like dark? So obviously he would talk about uh, Sam and Dave, right? And talk about the British rocks and early rock and roll. I would think that the other thing I'd want to know is he. I thought it was really interesting, right when he was on. I think it was Kimmel. I can't remember which late night show. It must have been Fallon. Must have been Fallon. And he talked about that. Uh, Jessica picked him up, and she was like, "Oh, Taylor Swift's got a new album. You got to hear it, Dad." And they were listening to it, and he said he loved that enthusiasm. And I think Fallon said, "What'd you think of it?" He says, "It's good. <laughs> She's good." <laughs> and yeah. so it would be curious to hear him. And to, I would want to know: Are there? Are there artists you didn't get to work with that you would have liked to? Like, yeah. who in that fandom would you have loved to seen? I remember he told the story that one night the Grammys were doing a Paul McCartney tribute, and the Grammys wanted to know if Bruce would attend. And he told John Landau, he's still a Beatle, right? If they're asking me to tribute to a Beatle, I- I'm going to be there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You mentioned radio stations i don't want to get you on a tangent but i had to just a little bit what during the day get what frustrates you because here you are trying to promote new music and you hear people say all the time oh there's no good music anymore and you obviously would disagree with that since that's one of the things you do what frustrates you what frustrates me is the way the industry has changed because it's become so corporate And I remember when I was in radio, when Jacksonville, North Carolina, we wanted to be the first ones to play something. We would, I would get albums upon albums and sit there and listen to everything and find the tracks that I thought were great and argue with my boss. And we were never like, oh, who else is on it? It was like, no, this is going to work for our market. This is a really good song. Let's play it. And, and now it's everybody's, oh, I can't add it unless it's in the top 30. How the hell is it going to get in the top 30 if everyone's waiting? And there seems to be like nobody it seems that being first has become like a pariah and I don't like that. I think that what's beautiful about music and in radio in general, I think is like discovering something new and different. And that for me comes from listening to WMMS and listening to Kid Leo and hearing songs that just hearing him just like gush over Bruce all the time. And just the like different are different DJs throughout the course of the day would have different things that they loved. And it like, for me, that was that sense of adventure and discovery. And I find that radio programmers today don't have that sense of discovery. And uh, that frustrates me. I remember right after the Western Stars film was released and he does that cover of Rhinestone Cowboy at the end yeah. over the credits. And I've often said in a different time, that would have been a crossover hit. That country stations would have played that. Oh, man, I've got here's Bruce Springsteen doing Rhinestone Cowboy. Yeah. But there's no way that a corporate run station is going to pull that and play it. Right. Exactly. You, You hear Jason Isbell talk about in his interviews that it's almost impossible for him to get radio play on country stations yeah um, and go ahead he country vibe yeah 
And yeah. it is, so you have to, because it's it doesn't fit, There there is a very structured format and what's approved and what's not. And there is that, you're missing that spontaneity. Uh, yes. Little Stevens Radio does that, both all his channels on, whether it's his Outlaw one or his or his underground radio, they do that. They mix it up, but most places don't now. It's just, it is a pre-programmed and you're not going to have a surprise hit. Yeah. And you're also not, it's not like even when I was on the radio in the UK, I could play anything I want. I had four hours a night that I got to make my own show. And Mm -hmm. when I came back to the States and I was on the radio there, it was like, well, this kind of sucks because I'm used to that freedom of being like, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I want to throw this in or I want to throw that in. And it it's like funny when people like say, oh, I, I called the radio station and requested this song. It's They're not going to play it because everything's already pre-programmed. It's yeah. so different when like growing up listening to the radio when people were excited and got a new record and played it. Yeah. And I, I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss those days too. So what's next for you? Besides trying to work and get you and your brother at the Toronto show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm breaking down. I'm creating lots of different things here in Canada. Like I just told you about wanting programmers to see my artists. And so I did a a showcase back in March where I got seven of the artists I work with to pitch in. We all pitched in money. I pitched in my share as well to fly out radio programmers from all over Canada to see them play with a, a full set see them play actually as a half hour set with a full band which my, my explanation to them was this is better than a radio tour because if you go on a radio tour it's going to cost you four thousand dollars to go per each province and you're going to get 20 minutes with a music director in the middle of their busy day to play one song on a guitar and then you're going to walk out the door and they're going to forget you let's make it memorable let's bring them to you and then i we so we had two days we flew in a bunch of different radio people and they didn't, it was great because it was a sense of community that we built where they didn't just see them perform live. They got to spend time with them. We had epic after parties that lasted until three 30 in the morning where we had jam sessions and they just got to sit and talk and really get to establish a personal relationship with the radio programmer. That's actually paid off because many of my artists are now getting a ton of airplay and have actually charted and are, and have made significant inroads, but, for me to just consistently talk to somebody on the phone and say, you've got to see, you've got, this artist is amazing. Trust me. Once they actually saw it, they did know I would, they're like, oh, you're not lying. You're not full of shit. This really was great. Like, how is it that all seven artists that you had were fantastic and not one of them sucked? I go, because I don't work with crap. And so it was like groundbreaking. And we also filmed it. I have my videographer there and I have my, I have a documentary coming out. Oh, how fun. yeah, it's a it's called North of Nashville, a Canadian music revolution. And I'm pretty proud of it because there's no other person that does what I do that's actually doing this stuff for their artists. So nice. Yeah, well, good. I will so, yeah. look forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome. But I will say this, though, it's honestly listening to Bruce really inspired me to do things like that, because like when I was putting that whole thing together, there were like one thing after another was going wrong. And I just kept going, you know what? It's a town full of losers. I'm pulling out of here. Win. it's a town full of losers, I'm pulling out. I was like, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to be defeated by this. 
And that line, if any line he's ever written, that one has always, I think that's the core of, it's really, it sticks to the core of me. I, I love that. I absolutely adore it. Any final thoughts before we get to the Mary question? <laughs> I was just like, I, I, I wish, I really wish that Bruce was listening so that he would know. And I, I the, the, how much he means it really, it's such a gift that he has and how much he really means to not just me, but to so many people and to just go to one of his shows and to see everybody singing along and just, and, and there are times that I've cried because it's just so special. Like that show I told you about that my brother should have been at that was after Clarence had passed. And when they did the tribute to him, I'm bawling my eyes out, you know, because yeah, it was sure. like, it's it's almost like growing up with somebody like this as long as I've been listening to him, it's you almost feel like you have a bond with that person. Absolutely. I, I yeah. totally agree. And yeah. I I think that he should be I, I think that if he listened to things like this, he he should be like beaming with pride over what he's done and what he's given people. Yes, said, said. All right. If you are listening to this podcast for the first time, because you're one of Andrea's talent, (laughs) and she said, look, listen to this. Or if you're just a listener, has stumbled onto this podcast, I I end every podcast with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong is a retired honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. And when he was teaching, he would give his class the lyrics to Thunder Road. They would read them. They would discuss them. And at the end of the two days, his he would ask his class the question, does Mary get in the car? And I think I know your answer, but for the record, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Of course she gets in the car. She'd be stupid not to, but it's Bruce. But also, of course, because he says, it's a town full of losers. We're pulling out of here to win. It's not I'm pulling out of here to win. It's we're pulling out of here to win. I love that. So if someone wants to get more information about the documentary, more information to you, how can they? My company is AM2FM Promotions, and the website is www.am2fm.com. See how clever that is? AM Andrea Morris. FM. <laughs> and if you go to the website, all my contact info is on there. All right. Very nice. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, it was wonderful. All right. Listeners, check out the website when the documentary is available. Be sure and check it out. But for now, be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, 
where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.